Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City veteran jazz vocalist Millie Edwards. She has introduced to audiences as the little woman with a big voice, and over her years in Kansas City, she has proved to be skilled at performing cabaret, pop, blues, and jazz. She performs regularly as a solo act at the Phoenix downtown and is always glad to be a part of the Kansas City Jazz Mix. We spoke to her about her career, what's on the horizon, what's been going on, and so much more in between. So please get to know Millie and dig this interview, my friends. Okay, Millie, thank you for taking a minute out for me on Jazz. I appreciate it. Quite all right. What kind of CD projects do you have or any recording projects that might be on the horizon? I'm looking at a CD, but I'm looking at, I don't know if I want to take show tunes or contemporary tunes and put a jazz spin on it. So that's the project that I'm kind of investigating now because for years I've done traditional standard jazz because the improvisation piece is so much a part of jazz i'd like to look at a variety of genres of music and take it to another level so that's what i'm working on right now talk to me about the beginnings of your life you're born and raised in kansas city no i was born in moundville alabama and my dad was in the service I stayed in Moundville with my grandmother for for a while until my mom and dad could get settled in Independence, Missouri, which where I was raised and where I grew up. And I played piano. I started playing piano at four, and then I played viola at 12. And I thought I would be a classical performer after seeing Van Cliburn. And I got to college, and I needed extra money. And I said, well, if all these people are singing and playing the piano, I can do that. So I bought every songbook I could, and I started singing and playing and decided I wanted to be a vocalist, that I did not want to be a concert pianist. But in my house, I'd always grown up around jazz. My dad loved jazz and loved jazz vocals. So playing instruments and having that foundation it made me a better singer. So who did you listen to that really inspired you in the jazz world? I listened to men as well as women. You know, Henderson, uh, Billy Eckstein, of course, Ella, uh, Carmen McRae. I liked her. She had a salty mouth, but, you know, her phrasing was incredible. Shirley Horn, who could really deliver a song and tell a story. All of those people not only were good and great vocalists, but they could tell a story. They did honor and respect to the music, and that's what I liked. So talk to me about the beginnings of your gigs and, like, how did you feel? Were you nervous? Did it feel natural? And where were they at? Uh, In Kansas City, I played every venue possible. Um, I'm To this day, I still get nervous before I perform. The same way I feel today is the same way I felt then, except I'm older, and experience helps you with the nerves. You wonder what your audience is going to be like. You wonder if they're going to be accepting. You wonder if they're going to listen. You wonder if your selection is a good selection, but you want to have a big enough variety of music that if you see the crowds not responding to a certain tune, you can pull from another tune. You're hoping that that night your voice is in good shape and that you can deliver the words well and tell the story, do honor to the composer. 
You wonder how loud it's going to be in the room. You wonder if you're going to have somebody that wants to talk to you uh, and be positive or talk to you and be negative and hope you can handle that in a professional manner and not offend the people in the audience. I've never been one to tell people not to talk, not to listen, not to interact with each other, to give me their undivided attention. I've never been that person because I think people, when they're out, they can multitask, and if they're hearing something they like, they will stop talking and they will respond. But all those things go through your head uh, before the gig starts, and it continues to go through your head as the gig is happening. If you feel that you're in a room that's comfortable and people are enjoying what they're hearing and they're responding, then you can let your mind think about, you know, the words, what you're going to do next. But all those things happen now. So you have been introduced to the audience as the little woman with the big voice. How did that moniker come about? It came about because I have a strong voice and I am a little person. But what happened was when I was in college, I realized that I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to do coffee houses and I wanted to travel and perform. But I thought, if I'm going to be singing for three or four hours, what is that going to do to my voice? Beyond the other things you have to keep in mind, you have to care for your voice as a, like an instrument. I wanted to be able to sustain uh, that amount of time uh, during evenings, especially if I'm going to be singing more than one night a week. So I took voice lessons from the late Dr. Joyce Sturmer, and I learned how to breathe. I learned the importance of breath. I learned the importance of using your diaphragm uh, when you performed. I learned how I could do three or four hours, three or four nights a week through breath control and through correct use of the diaphragm. So that's probably why they say, yeah, I'm the little one with the big voice. But I give a lot of credit to Dr. Sturmer because she helped me understand how to care for my voice. And most importantly, even when I was feeling, not feeling the best, how to use it as an instrument through the diaphragm and, voice, and breath control. So over the years in Kansas City, kind of talk to me a little bit about, you know, after your beginnings and kind of, what, give me a, an overview of your timeline here in Kansas City. How do you feel about where you're at today and how everything started here? I feel great about where I am today. I always, I never wanted to be a superstar or a star. I was raised to, my dad really loved jazz and he loved jazz vocals, but he always told me to do honor to the song and to the music. Remember the composer, remember what the words are saying. Always respect the music, and that's what I've tried to do. I feel great about where I am because I'm about the music. I'm the person that wants to play with great people. I want everybody to sound good, and I want to be at the top of my game. I don't want, I, I'm not a diva. I'm a person that focuses on doing the song the best it can possibly be. So from the beginning, that has been my focus. A lot of things that go on in the business, especially as a woman, I may not agree with. But you've got to learn how to play the game. You've got to figure out 
who a, who the great players are, and when you work with them, respect them, make sure they're featured. But I don't I don't want to go in telling people what they should be doing. So from the beginning, I've been the team player in the band. Many times I was the only woman. But I've gone in with the attitude, if you sound great and I sound great, it's a great evening. I've always wanted to play great rooms. I've been able to play the great rooms with great players. Uh, I've been able to have a good working relationship with musicians because I value and respect them, which is all they want. And I've been able to do different venues to put myself in different situations that I normally am not in uh, to bring the music to the audience. My goal has always been not only to make music, but to entertain and make people feel comfortable and want and make them want to feel I want to come back and see her again or hear that song again. I always want to produce a good product, and I always want to be a team player. That's been my goal from the beginning. It's my goal now. And as I get older, I'd always think, well, what's going to happen as I get older? Am I going to be able to do all these gigs and to work all these venues? And I have been able to do that because I've established good relationships with good people. And I believe that I have been easy to work with and given them a quality product. You've had the opportunity to play all over Kansas City with all kinds of musicians in the Kansas City Jazz. Yeah, and I all well, over the country. Absolutely, yes. My setup to this was about the whole Kansas City scene. How do you feel about the scene? How is it doing in 2018? In 2018, it's doing great. It's doing great because with jazz in Kansas City, it's ebbed, it's flowed, it's ebbed, it's flowed. And right now, we've got jazz venues. We've got Vine, which is trying to come back and be the mecca and be the center, and they are working on fixing that. But we still have the Blue Room. We still have the Foundation. We have the Green Lady. We have the Black Dolphin. We have Majestic. We have the Phoenix. And it's it has eclectic music on some nights, but it has jazz, traditional jazz, contemporary jazz. We have the Embassy. Um, we the ambassador, I'm sorry, and that's downtown. We also have Sullivan's. We also have Eddie V's. We also have Intercontinental. We also have Chaz. We have, and if I've forgotten venues, I do apologize, because we have a lot, which excites me, of venues for jazz. Just recently, B&B Theaters, they opened up music rooms where people can come and hear jazz. He's designed, Mr. Bagsby has designed a room where people can come and hear jazz before and after the movies. And if they don't want to see a movie, they can just come hear jazz. There are a lot of venues and a lot of places to play in this city. And the thing that I like is businesses are willing to open up to jazz if they're not playing it. And then, if that's not enough, we have churches that have jazz Sundays or jazz evenings. Tim Whitmer's had spirituality and all that jazz for over 20 years at Unity on the Plaza. There are a lot of venues to hear jazz. And to me, that is positive. That is uplifting. 
that is helping with the longevity and the history of the, the art form. What's the best thing to you about Kansas City? The best thing to me, and I've traveled in my 25 years, I was in, with AT&T, I traveled a lot and visited a lot of jazz venues and performed at a lot with the company's assistance. But the thing I like about Kansas City is we have everything every place else has on a smaller scale. I love the fact I don't have to deal with the traffic that they have to deal with in major cities. I love the fact that I can get to any of my gigs within a half an hour. I love the fact that we have a lot of jazz venues, and a lot of them don't have a door pro, a door charge. There's you can get in and hear good music for free for buying a drink, tipping the the waiter or waitresses. I love the fact that we have a great music scene, and I love the fact that it's a livable city. It's cost effective for the people that live here, but most importantly, that we have everything that every place else has on a smaller scale. So you're a teacher, and yes. I want to know, what is your philosophy as a teacher? What are you trying to give students? I'm trying to not only help them achieve their goals, not only help them become good corporate citizens, but to remember that we are responsible for each other and that we need to pay it forward, that no matter how successful they become, they didn't do it by the themselves. They had to have a support system to help them to be successful. So I want them to not only be successful, but I want them to remember who helped them and to turn around and help somebody else achieve their goals. So what live jazz, more specific jazz shows have you seen that have really moved you, that you've witnessed? Well, they all do, to be honest with you. The last show I saw was with Kevin Mahogany. And Kevin Mahogany and I basically grew up together. We'd go to each other's gigs, and then he took off. I would have to say his show in Maryland, in Maryland Mays, because Kevin and I have a long had a long history together. Maryland May is just Maryland May. <laughs> I mean, the woman is ninety, and uh, her chops are still there. Both of them stood before the audience and delivered their song. There was nothing in between them and the audience. It's almost like the audience held their breath with each performance because they were hanging on every word and the delivery of the song and the message they were trying to share was not missed. The audience got it. And when the audience gets what you're trying to say, then you had an incredible performance. And both of them delivered. And they delivered at the highest level possible, and it made me proud to be a, a musician and to be a singer. So let's get a little bit fantastical here, and if you could get into a jazz DeLorean, go back in time, and let's say in Kansas City, say 18 and Vine, 12th and Vine, something like that, where would you go in the annals of Kansas City jazz history to view a show? Who would you see? I'd go to either Eblon, that was a club on Vine, or you know where I'd want to go? I'd want to go to the drum room. Yeah. I'd want to go to the drum room, and I'd want to see Count Basie. 
Cool. And I'd want to see Count Basie with either Ella as a guest. Yeah, I'd like to see him as a guest. Count Basie with Ella as a guest. There was a woman, a little woman called Evie Anderson. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to see Evie Anderson or Ella or even Cab Calloway with Count Basie. Or maybe Ethel Waters, you know. Maybe yeah, Ethel sure. Waters, because she was just like this big Broadway star then. So I'd like to see any of those vocalists with Count Basie. Yeah, I dig it. So why do you love jazz? I love jazz because it's diverse. It's diverse, it's improvisational, but basically because it's diverse. Because I can take a simple standard and I can sing it and I can make it sound, I can make those notes be as beautiful as I'd like for them to be. I can sit on the note or I can take the note someplace else. But I can also change the tempo. I can make it Latin, I can make it swing. And I can just take that note and make that note be a lot of different notes within a certain time frame. I like the diversity within the music. And I like that every time I sing a song, it doesn't have to be the same. And when I sing it, I like the history behind the music. I like how it developed. I like the story behind the people that created it. And I like the richness of the music and the sustainability of jazz. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your students, but you know yourself best. Who do you think you are? I'm a driven woman. I am driven to be the best I can possibly be. I accept my frailties. I accept my weaknesses. But I not only want to be the best I can possibly be, I want to help other people be the best they can possibly be. I'm driven. Yeah. I'm absolutely I, driven. I can hear that. Absolutely. Millie, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz, opening up about your life, and thank you for what you give to Kansas City. Thank you very much for calling me. I am so honored. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest vocalists and jazz players in Kansas City and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Millie for her class, her time, and her music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.